I'm Nick Cater from the Mintis Research Centre. Before we get immersed in another water cooler conversation, I wanted to extend a very special invitation to water cooler listeners to join Australia's 25th Prime Minister, John Howard, for a very special event in Sydney this December. The Mentis Research Centre has the privilege of hosting the John Howard Lecture once a year. It's the highlight of our events calendar and an opportunity to invite some of the world's most inspiring thought leaders to talk about things that matter much more than the ups and downs of 24-hour politics. This year's John Howard Lecturer is Dr Brendan Nelson, a Defence Minister in Mr Howard's Cabinet and a distinguished former Director of the Australian War Memorial. Dr Nelson is renowned for his incisive, engrossing and stimulating contributions and this is certain to be a memorable occasion. The ninth John Howard Lecture will be held on Thursday, December the 16th, starting at 6pm at the Wesley Conference Centre in Sydney. Tickets are selling fast, so why not press the pause button and book yours right now at www.mensesrc.org slash events. That's www.mensesrc.org slash events. Events, and you'll find a link in the notes accompanying this podcast. We're not here just to win an election, we are here to win something for our country. Welcome to another water cooler conversation. Today, I wanted to talk about parties, party politics. We're a think tank, we're involved in ideas and policy making, but the party political system through our democracy is the way we make those ideas count, the way we change the country, hopefully the, for the better, uh, through the business of politics. With me to discuss the whole business of party politics and why it matters is my colleague from the Menzies Research Centre, Tim James. Tim, welcome. Thanks, Nick. It's terrific to be with you in uh, familiar surroundings. Indeed. Tim, you're not an old man, but when you... <laughs> When you came of an age in your teenage years, when you started to think about, as many of us do, making a difference in the world, that's why we enter public life, the natural route for you, I guess, was party politics. Is that right? Yes, that's right, Nick. Uh, um, Back in the day, it was 1993. I was in my final year of high school. It was indeed the year of the so-called unlosable election, and John Hewson and his fight back package. Un- unlosable for Paul Keating, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed, with the benefit of hindsight. And um, that was a big election for our country. And I, I was young, but I, but I, I felt it. I mean, we'd, we'd had the recession we had to have. I know my parents were paying very high interest rates on our home mortgage. My father was out of work for a period. And uh, I felt it and I knew it. And, and I instinctively and perhaps philosophically also um, felt the drive to want to make our country better. And as a student of economics at the time, and it was in fact my then economics teacher, who himself was a big fan of Paul Keating, and I found myself naturally railing against much of um, what uh, he was gently and appropriately putting to us in the classroom. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to brainwash us, but, but he and I had some healthy, robust debate and, and one day, in fact, after class, he said to me, Tim, you should think about joining a political party. You've got some strong views and you seem to be able to craft an argument uh, pretty well in support of those views and have a think about it. And so I did. And truth is, Nick, uh, my parents met at a gathering of the Young Liberals. Mum was never a member, but Dad was, albeit 
on the social side of things rather more so. He was never elected to office, nor did he seek it out. But that is how they met, through some mutual friends. And, and I think it was perhaps always going to be so that I would join the Liberal Party. It is, from my point of view, what naturally reflects my worldview, my instincts, my my inherent thoughts of of the life that I want to lead and to have here in this country, obviously, for myself, myself, my family and my, my children. Let's put aside the fact you're obviously far wiser than I was at that age because at that age, or I think a year earlier when I was 16, I joined the British Labour Party. Oh, Nick. Um, and I wish I could use the excuse that, that it was the Labour Party that lost me, not the other way around. But I, I, anyway, for one reason or another, I, I, I'm now a member of the Australian Liberal Party and the executive director of the, of the think tank, uh, Menzies Research Centre, affiliated to the party. But look, in a sense, that's irrelevant to the argument I want to have because the discussion I want to have is why party politics, whether you join Labour, whether you join uh, um, the Liberal Party, the National Party, or indeed you know One Nation or whatever but the question is why does that matter in an era when it there's always been pressure groups special interest groups but it seems to me uh, people are more and more drawn towards that as a way of changing the world whether it's get up extinction rebellion whatever it is and I recall being on a polling booth in Wentworth I think it was uh, talking to a young man from get up who was there and when I spoke to him, it turned out that he he felt vaguely that the get-up policies represented his view. He didn't know exactly what they were, but that he was also being paid to be there. And I thought, well, this is quite a radical difference from the days, from politics as I always assumed it was, and as the sort of politics you entered, where that would have been a very strange route, wouldn't it, to take? Yeah, very, very much so. And, I mean, we... We have, and we're very fortunate to have in this country, Nick, a participative democracy. And and I wish, by the way, that many more Australians would actively participate in our democracy. And, and, and that applies whether in terms of joining a political party or just choosing to be informed and engaged in the, in the process, however they seek to do so. I think um, the more people we have engaged in our democratic processes, the, the better off we will be. But that assumes, of course, that uh, people are coming at it um, with principles, with with good purpose, um, uh, not not out of um, uh, rank self-interest or, or commercial interest or, or, or other interests, but in fact that they want to make life better for for their family, their community, and their country. And and I don't want to sound cynical here because I, I think the overwhelming majority of people do seek to bring about uh, that betterment through political involvement. But but there are some today who are certainly more akin to uh, sort of actors and and activists, and, and, and they can be uh, sometimes driven by, uh, by special interests, by, by a level of tribalism, sometimes by a level of commercialism. There are a range of interests that might shape their actions. But I think the right thing to do for people is to be informed about our democratic processes and to come to know what principles they associate with and what they feel deeply about and then to choose to make something of it. And I think the best way to make something of it is not to be an activist or an actor who's 
if you like, on the margins, trying to shape the the game a bit from the from the sidelines or here or there. But I would suggest, to use a sporting analogy, people get on the field, join a team, and choose to be a part of a political party and any political party. And I have friends, you know, across the political domain, and 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 I respect them so so long as they're driven by goodwill and a desire to make their lives and and their families and communities and countries circumstances better. Um, So for me, I think joining a political party was a very natural exercise. I did, I should point out, um, want to make a very informed decision. And and I remember it vividly. I, I wrote to each of the then major parties, including the Australian Democrats back in the day, and said, please, could you send me your membership kit? I'd like to read about your party and your principles. And I'll never forget, and I've still got it, in fact, in a filing cabinet at home, when I opened the Labor Party's membership kit, which was by far the most flashy and impressive to look at, um, the very first document on the top of the pile of materials inside this this pack was a form that said, which trade union are you a member of? Or, if you are not, which trade union will you join? And I thought to myself, oh, I didn't, didn't really, you know, uh, see it quite in those terms but it was just straight up like that um, and, and having said that it was never really in doubt that I think <laughs> I would join the, the Liberal Party because again that's the, the natural party for me that associates with my principles uh, which I feel deeply in my bones about the sort of country we should be uh, how I seek to live my life the freedoms, rights, opportunities and choices that I have and um, I, I I declare my bias of I, you know I bleed I bleed blue and and proudly so but I, I believe that um, it is our party's view that most naturally and comfortably aligns with human instincts to 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 want to have a better life to to aspire to to seek to provide more for your family to seek to be safe and uh, secure in in your life in your job in in your community and so they are they are liberal values that i think inherently reflect uh, human instinct and certainly they do for me and and history records they have for many people in this country yeah that's the sort of due diligence i've come to expect from you tim that you look at both parties before you make up your mind and look good on you but um Let's go back, you know, again, let's make this party agnostic in a sense and say, well, what do you achieve through a party that you can't achieve by, you know, giving $12 to get up or whatever? Uh, one thing it seems to me is that um, you joining a party, a mainstream party, is recognising that the this is a very, uh, you know, there are many, many things that contribute to the national interest, it's not just one issue, it's not just climate change, it's not just... Um, you know, gay marriage or, or whatever your your particular issue is. And and because of that, we have to make trade-offs. So, uh, for instance, um, you know, I'm very passionate about um, the plight of the mentally ill, uh, and I'd like to see more money in research for the mentally ill. I'd like to see more hospital beds available for them, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm conscious that I have to argue that case as against other pressing policy needs um you know the needs for perhaps cancer research or 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 you know uh subsidizing electric vehicles whatever it may be there have to be trade-offs and politics must be about trade-offs it seems to me or it's not democratic it's a sort of rule of the most the strongest 
argument and the most powerful argument wins. And often that's, you know, there are often, take the mentally ill, for example, there aren't too many people out there shouting for them and their corner. So would you agree? I mean, the trade-offs is the, is, is the natural thing you have to engage in as a member of party, and that's a good thing. Look, absolutely, Nick. Uh, I mean, if if we do not have a real contest of ideas, which must by their very nature involve trade-offs, because we cannot have everything. Money does not grow on trees. You know, a government is um, simply not capable of delivering everything that everyone would ever want. So, you know, we don't live in a utopian state. So... So the contest of ideas is all important, and and that is one thing that um, party involvement should, and, and in my experience, generally does uh, bring about is is the the space, the the, the platform, the the opportunities uh, to to meet with other people, to come together, to hear different points of view, to have a civil debate and discussion, which seems often all too rare these days in the broader landscape, but to be able to put forward ideas. I mean, in the end, as, as John Howard said, politics is the battle of ideas. And, and if we don't have that battle uh, on a number of levels, then, then we're just letting ourselves down and, and we won't get the best ideas and we won't get the best uh, policies and, and, and positions going forward. So, so in, a, in a party, in a, in a good political party and I can't really speak for others too much but but in my experience overwhelmingly in the Liberal Party there is a contest of ideas there are opportunities to debate uh, there are people of different views we are a broad church and, and that is a very healthy thing that we would seek to take the very best of the liberal and conservative uh, strands of of political thinking and 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 bring them together for the very very best of outcomes and very best of solutions in a in a policy sense and and I also think it, it, it to come back to your question it's really important Nick that that people involved in politics are, are constantly um, grounded in and 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 reminded of principles it, it it is principles first we we cannot be too tribal or, or, or so attached to to our party or our brand that principles are sort of put to to one side in in the end if you don't have those core foundation stones underpinning who you are and what you do in public policy then um, in a sense you are without anchor points and and foundations and and so they are very important and that's one of the reasons why people should join a political party is is obviously they are um, are designed to and again in my experience overwhelmingly do uh, bring people uh, and, and and circumstances and meetings and, and everything that is a political party together, but grounded in those principles. And I really do ask myself sometimes, what are the principles of, um, of Get Up or, or of so many different activist organisations? Because they can be so many things to so many different people and um, you just think well hang on a minute how consistent how grounded how deeply rooted are the positions that that some of these activists and and individuals are putting forward and I would say in many cases they are not they're not at all deeply grounded or rooted in in principle a lot of it is just politics uh, pragmatics populism 
poll-driven positions and uh, ultimately uh, they will not be the solutions to our challenges as a country. The, the answer is grounded in principles. It must always be grounded in principles, not in the actions of uh, those who are, if you like, um, activating, agitating on the sidelines. That's not to say there's not a role for them. There is. But we would always hope that it is a deeply principled role. And I do, again, sometimes find myself questioning how much they are principled today. Well, one thing that worries me about about organisations like GetUp is that they're, in a a sense, driven by money. Uh, They would steadfastly deny that they're interested in anything as sordid as money. But the fact is they're organisations that have to raise funds to exist uh, and they're in a sense uh, guns for hire so the Sunrise Foundation for instance um, an organisation with its roots in America in the Sierra Club in the, in the environmental movement over there uh, a lot of money coming into the Sunrise Foundation from uh, you know renewable energy companies and whatever they're interested in that whole topic they fund Get Up Get Up campaign very strongly for renewable energy and uh, against um, you know, in, in favour of a candidate like Saudi Stegel in that campaign, you know about. But that—that's you know, in a way, it's it's a very valueless world when that's what counts, isn't it? Whereas the party like the Liberal Party, I mean, sure, I'm not going to deny that 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 uh, you know, donations or where those donations come from can sometimes focus your attention on a particular area. But it is a party that's got grounded in clear. Um, timeless principles set out by Robert Menzies um, yeah, the, the freedom of the individual the, the fact that uh, government should be effective and efficient and not too intrusive on our lives etc etc these basic principles we know and that's the deal isn't it you sign up to the Liberal Party whatever you want to argue for you, you, it should be that you have to argue in terms of those first principles and if you can't well you're in the wrong party it seems to me yeah, absolutely right, Nick. And I mean, there is some real uh, irony and, and hypocrisy about those who preach uh, transparency and openness in the public square. And that includes these days a lot of activist organisations, including those with foreign interests, as you say. But yet, um, all too often, it is uh, their funding and their flows of support and monies that are um, very hard to follow very hard to follow and um, and and if you can follow them often you do find that they are driven by particular interests or particular um, points of view that might be a you know a single issue or, or some um, you know particular standpoint on a matter of debate whereas to, to, to bring it back to parties which are not perfect but at least in parties you 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 know what you stand for and, and the party, a good party, as with ours, is grounded in principles, and it cannot be bought. It 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 cannot be uh, consumed or, or, or overtaken um, or overshadowed by those who might have a particular standpoint or, or a particular interest, whether it's commercial or, or personal or, or, or otherwise, because it is those principles that that ground us and guide us, and that is what in a sense, sets apart um, a political party from uh, an activist movement. And an an activist movement can inherently 
be one of shifting sands and, and, and people can be pushed and prodded and coerced around to perhaps a number of different viewpoints. Um, and, and one must ask, well, what do they really stand for? What, what is it that truly grounds an organisation like GetUp? And I think if you, now that they've been around for well over 10 years, I think actually you can find all sorts of ironies and double standards and contradictions in how they have gone about their brand of politics. And I, I, I don't think it is a positive influence um, upon our democracy. Um, again, people should be free, absolutely free, to choose to get involved and engaged in the democratic process. But um, it ought to be, ideally, grounded in deep principles, in belief, in conviction that is consistent, that is stable and, and solid. And, uh, and that's, again, what I see, certainly in the Liberal Party of Australia. Um, and I think we don't see it enough in some of these activist movements out there. At the Menzies Research Centre, we're passionate believers in the power of ideas to change conversations and shape the future. Thanks to podcasts, we've extended our circle of conversations to thousands of people every month. Podcasts are a great medium for think tanks. Listeners turn into podcasts for longer, more sophisticated conversations than they can find on conventional media, and we're very happy to provide them. And thanks to the generosity of our supporters, we can deliver them for free. You can show your support by subscribing to the Menzies Research Centre from just $10 a month. Go to menziesrc.org slash subscribe or click on the link in the podcast notes. You've also got to be for something, haven't you? Not just against something to be a serious party that has... Uh, an opportunity to govern. Uh, it strikes me that, say, the Palmer United Party, very colourful, we love the ads, but they're, they're almost all ads that are against something and, and against both parties. You know, a pox on both your houses, you're both hopeless. And look, I don't think either of us would argue that uh, both parties have their failings. We, we think probably one side more than the other, but that's, that's, that's a perspective. But the point is you, you can't just be there saying well, we don't like what you're doing, so we'll chuck you out. It seems to me if if you're not going to present a serious agenda that's achievable and, and has record, you know, ways of getting there, then, to my mind, you, you, you shouldn't be taken seriously in an election. And I think that's the trouble with a young, sort of noisy party like uh, Clive Palmer's party. I'm not just singling him out. There are, the Greens would be in that category too. Yeah, I think that's right, Nick. I mean, almost inevitably, uh, whether we talk about uh, independence, uh, and there is a lot of talk about them at the moment for obvious reasons, or, or, or indeed, as you say, smaller, newer, minor parties, um, th they they tend to uh, protest. They, they tend not to have such a positive um, agenda. And, and I think, again, they, they lack... Um, all too often the depth and, and consistency and stability that, that I think indeed people uh, in this day and age and certainly post-COVID, I think there's there's a, a craving out there for for a level of, of depth and consistency and stability. And, and so I hope that 
people can see that there are inherent risks uh, in going towards independents and minor parties, and, and that risk is overwhelmingly instability and unpredictability and uncertain positions, movable positions, uh, and obviously fragmentation uh, and division. And, and, and in a sense, that's what independents and minor parties rely upon, is a, is a fraying, uh, a fragmentation of, um, of, of, of other you know, major parties and, and indeed principles themselves too. And, and I think if, if we descend, if you like, into that um, mixing pot of many, many different voices and positions and actors and players and candidates and independents and minor parties and so on, I, I think we inherently end up weakening our, our democracy and, and I think it does create some real instability and, and that is not, in my view, what this country needs at this point in time. Well, let's go. I mean, there are others. Some of them are mutual friends that we know have left the Liberal Party in, in recent months or years you know, because they're finding the party doesn't isn't um, loud, speaking loudly enough on the issues that, that they think are important all very well. And they've joined another party and they think that uh, with luck they may be able to hold the balance of power in the upper house or something like that and, and therefore bring their will to bear um, on the parliament. Now, th- that's problematic for me in two respects. Well, <laughs> more than two. Uh, th- first of all, it seems to me it's a it's a, it's a big punt. <laughs> you know, you're putting all your bar- eggs in one basket. And second, if you were to get to that position, say the position that Brian Harradine occupied through, I think the entirety of the Howard government, I could, could be corrected on that, as a, a an independent Tasmanian senator who was often key in the Senate to getting reform passed. And, um, uh, because he was generally you know, socially conservative, Howard found him perhaps more <laughs> easier to talk to than most. But... but should the will, you know, of a democratically elected lower house, which is which is fifty percent plus one, is it right in a democracy that that will be thwarted by somebody in the upper house who may have been elected, you know, with just often with just a few thousand first preference votes? I mean, is that democracy that you just because you're in that position, you manage to negotiate your way into that position, should you be allowed to hold? Parliament to ransom, and and is that a is that a route that we should discourage our friends from taking? <laughs> well, um, we know who they are. <laughs> yeah, look, look, we we do, and um, I would always and, and have always said that if if you want to make your country and 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 your chosen party better, then choose to get involved. Mm-hmm. Make 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 that make that election. Don't don't sit on the sidelines or snipe from the sidelines or go and join some new different team. Um, get into the main game, uh, play in the big league, and uh, raise your voice, be heard, make your arguments, uh, and seek to persuade and win people over to your position. And and I mean all all we have to do, of course, is to look through history to see. Um, the relative um, achievements and merits of of parliaments, um, wh- whether lower house and or upper house, that have had um, a very strong, powerful influence of independents and or minor parties, 
which which by the way tends only to be to be fleeting i mean how many of them really do last um and the answer in a lot of ways is 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 none over the over the longer term but but i i think um people should stick to the main game choose to engage in a principled fashion and and to to seek to persuade people around to their points of view and um uh, so to anyone who thinks that they can achieve more um, outside of um, the um, established party system, I just think we'll look at history. The, the track record is that ultimately um, you struggle very much to do so and um, it is overwhelmingly a fleeting experience, an uncertain experience uh, and one that for the long term does not yield positive outcomes for, for our people or our parliamentary democracy. And it also seems to me you're, you're dodging a challenge that we face every day at the Mentis Research Centre, and that is defining the national interest, right? It's, it's the Parliament of Australia, not the par- Parliament of Annandale or Vaucluse, you know. Uh, and, and, and that's difficult. I mean, I think Australians even today they're bound you know bound together by some shared values and, and you know an Australian culture and Australian spirit but there's huge differences aren't there between um, I just give you one example when I was on the polls on the um, handing out have vote cards in Wentworth it was eight dollars for a sausage sizzle and you paid by Amex <laughs> uh, but you know when you go out to Penrith it's two dollars fifty and it has to be cash so and th- th- little details but that's telling you something about very different uh, people different economic interests different outlook all Australians but but a, a, gov- a party that governs in the national interest has to look after both those groups you know albeit with the trade-offs we've spoken about so that's the crucial thing that a party like the Liberal Party and indeed the Labor Party has to wrestle with every day of the week, isn't it? And I, I think it's right that they should. Yeah, ab- absolutely right. I mean, I, I remember even 25 years ago, you know, as a very young Liberal, understanding that um, the the Greens and, and, and back then the Australian Democrats and, and others could and would put up uh, huge, big promises uh, and enormous funding commitments, uh, but because they weren't in office and were never likely to be in office in any, you know, permanent, stable sense, um, these were very hollow commitments. Very hollow commitments. And and it is, I'm not saying that the major parties have an absolute monopoly upon this space, but 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 overwhelmingly we need to look towards those parties that have depth and experience and real responsibility for the nation who, who who understand what it is to govern and also who understand what it is to be in opposition and and who um, have an appreciation for for managing a a, a big government budget and and obviously for guiding you know a nation forward um, so so I think um, you're right wherever you are in Australia uh, and whether you are a humble voter or, or, or party member or party representative it is the national interest, uh, you know, obviously there are state parliaments, so the state interest too. And, and yes, all politics is local and, 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 and we can and should and we do recognise that. But, but there's a greater good. It, it, all, it all bubbles up to 
the sort of state and country that we want to live in, what is our place in the world, what will be our way of our way of life, our national culture. And so, you know, whether you're paying $8 for your sausage in Wentworth or, you know, $2 somewhere else, um, hopefully everyone can instinctively think through the greater good and the higher purpose, which is what does this actually mean uh, for for my country, for my future, for my children? Um, and in a sense, we, we, we need people to be... Um, selfless about it, and obviously to be thoughtful about it. And I think, I think overwhelmingly the Australian people are thoughtful about these these matters. And um, it's easy, you know, in this world of social media and online engagement and twenty four seven media cycles and and so on. It's easy, in a sense, to overstate or overestimate the relative power and position of some of these other voices. Um, in the end, in our democracy, uh, I have faith that the people will get it right. And, um, I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, it seems to me that perhaps major parties need to recognise they are the ones who, in the end, are responsible for the rise of these minor parties. I mean, if Labor right now uh, will be looking with concern at votes they're going to lose to the Greens at one end and, and probably to One Nation, Clive Palmer at the other and, and perhaps a few to the Coalition. And likewise in the Coalition, they're, they're concerned about votes that they may lose to other minor parties. Um, uh, but but if that's the case, if they're, if, they're, if they're losing people on the margins, then that seems to me they're not doing a good enough job in recognising the national interest and governing and or... or, or or producing policies that are in the best interests of the nation, not not individuals. I think that's right, Nick. In 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 the end, if um, if you're losing votes, whether it's on your left fringe or your right fringe or, or or both, then it's on you as a as a political enterprise to come up with the right ideas, driven by your principles, to to take our country forward. Now, you know, it's easy in the modern era for people to run campaigns and to seek to wedge uh, political leaders and, and political parties but but I, I still think there's um, that there's there's that greater good and that higher purpose and and, and if, if if parties and and those making policies for the major parties and this is something I know we're very conscious of here at the Menzies Research Center if we can find the solution that is obviously rooted in our principles, uh, which is fair and good for our country and which will take people forward, then then, then we go forward with confidence, knowing that we're not going to bring everybody with us, but um, we, we can um, bring the majority of the Australian people with us on that pathway. And, and again, you can, you can lose some people on your left and, and inevitably you can lose some people on your right, um, but, but there is a way to, if you like, govern for the mainstream. And I think in so many ways that has been the the great success of the Liberal Party, Nick. And we look back, obviously, you know, to Menzies and the Forgotten People, to John Howard and, and the Howard Battlers, and in more recent years, uh, Tony Abbott and, as they called them, Tony's Tradies, and more recently, Scott Morrison and the Quiet Australians. And and I, I, think, I think there's... 
there's still that um, overwhelming um, sense of um, what is in our national interest when we go to cast our vote and which party is 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 acting in our interests you know however we are to be classified whether we're quiet Australians or or otherwise I, I think that's the that's the opportunity is for people to think through who will be serving best our country's interests both now and and into the long term and again the Liberal Party has no monopoly on on, on that um, and we all know electoral cycles can and do turn uh, but I, I still think that based on our principles and and the the makeup of our party and the the democratic nature of our party um, it is it is the Liberal Party that can best seek to make that appeal to to the greater good and to the national interest that we hope voters have in mind as they cast their ballots uh, then there's another aspect another angle that I'd like to throw in there and that's the importance of persuasion Robert Menzies said the art of politics is the art of persuasion by which he meant that it was the task of a, a statesman of a a, a politician to to make a, a clear judgment about what was in the best into the interest of the country, and then persuade the voters that that is the correct way forward, even if they don't initially think so. And in his view, if you failed to persuade the voters and you lost office, well, that was that was a reflection on your political skills, not the voters. Uh, you, you're you know one of your early bosses in politics, John Howard, you worked for um, in, in early on in your career he was a politician who recognised that I think and would do that he'd take the country with him whether it was on uh, uh, asylum seekers whether it was on GST whatever it was, he, he had a clear view and, and would state it is that what we need to see politicians be more conscious of now when it seems to me that often there's far too much attention paid to focus groups and uh, polling and not enough to actually winning arguments uh, in short I think the answer is is yes um, it, it's it's easy and I think it is often right in the modern era to, to think that um, uh, decisions and processes are not uh, perhaps as considered, as well researched, as well consulted upon as uh, they used to be. Having said that, the world is faster today and the demands for for action and resolution and to get things done are, are if you like, m- more immediate and, and pressing. But I, I do nonetheless think that um, the, the art of persuasion must always be at the front of our minds and indeed um, forefront in our actions and and if if we if we struggle and and I think every um, every uh, party to some degree does does struggle with this very issue if we struggle to lay out um, what is the problem that we're seeking to tackle uh, how we will look at an array of options by which we might tackle it how we will uh, listen and engage with stakeholders and people and communities, and then propose a course of action forward. So, as I say those things, the 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 policy reform that perhaps most comes to mind, based on my experience in Mr. Howard's office, of course, is tax reform, mm. and and that was a years long journey in persuasion and and 
calm and considered and well thought through, well laid out, well presented persuasion of people. And, and it was not without risk, as, as we know, looking back upon the 1998 election. Um, well, but, it was massive risk, wasn't it? I mean, you've already talked about the unlosable election. You know, one of Keating's big attacks on John Hughes in the 93 election was, was a scare campaign over GST, which, which uh, you know, it, it didn't help that, that Houston had some trouble articulating some of the details of that, as we all know. But, but So that, that's 93. Five years later, John Howard goes to the, the polls on a commitment to introduce a GST. That's pretty gutsy, isn't it? What was it like? Are you recall that era? I remember it well, Nick. Um, it, it was known that there was inherent risk with it, but, but, but the, the very deep belief, I know, um, obviously from Mr Howard down and, and, and everyone working on it, including myself, the deep belief was that it was fair and it was good for the country and that it would take all of us forward and 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 I think we had faith despite the you know risk at the ballot box in 1998 we had faith that we'd we'd done our homework that we'd laid out the case for reform that that we'd we'd spelt out why the the status quo was simply unsustainable and that something had to be done but also that there had been a process by which we had listened learned consulted refined and improved a policy proposal which ultimately went forward to the Australian people in, in 1998 and, and which uh, ultimately was, was successful. And, and, I, and I think these days um, we tend not to see such a uh, lengthy, uh, thorough, researched, considered campaign, if you like, of, of persuasion um, and people can say, "Look, the world moves faster, and media's changed, and so on and so forth." But but I still those principles still apply, and we must um, always seek to go about that process of 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 making the case for reform, uh, of demonstrating the why, the how, and the what are we going to do to make things better, and and then obviously to in a sense, market. Um, what, what are the benefits? What's the upside? And obviously, every policy reform has has some consequences, and sometimes they can be very challenging to deal with as well. And to tackle that openly and and honestly. Now, that all sounds a bit idealistic, but I, I do sometimes ask myself how much in the modern era of politics do we get into deeply that that process of seeking to persuade uh, the community and to bring people and communities on a on a real journey uh, with us it's um, it's not easy but it but it ultimately needs to be done and, and I think if you fail to do it um, in the end it makes for even more um, short-term thinking and policy making and and acting and I think many people would say there's more than enough of that as it is. Finally, Tim, to, to something else uh, Mr Howard's often famous for, and that's for describing the party as a broad church. Um, I'm not sure what he meant by that was, by a broad church, was, was a, a room with two warring factions. 
you know, that you were either conservative or, you know, soft L liberal or however you want to describe it. Uh, I'm not sure that's what he meant, and yet it seems to me many people in the party see the fights within the party these days increasingly as a battle between conservatives and the rest. Um, I've never been comfortable with that because uh, I just don't think, number one, I don't think opinion amongst intelligent human beings can be carefully slotted into those two baskets. And, and, and two, you know, a, a church is where you, you may not agree with somebody in the, the pew on the other side of the church, but you you respectful towards them. You, 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 you listen to them. You, 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 you're inclined to believe that their doctrinal views are honestly held and arrived at, and yet we fall into a world we're not careful where we're really disrespecting our fellow party members and, and having a shouting match, not a conversation. Am I overstating it? Oh, I think, I, th- I mean, we, we, we all um, see it from time to time and hear it and, and feel it from time to time too, Nick, and I think the key point is this, that we've always got to remember, as John Howard said, that um, what unites us um, will be stronger than what divides us. And when we when we focus on what it is that, that we share, our common purpose, then, then we are all the better for it. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have very robust debate, uh, difference of opinion, uh, different points of view, um, but it's how we go about dealing with that and, and, and managing that. And, and if it descends into sort of tribalism, then, then that, is, that is indeed deeply illiberal. I mean, we, we are the party that stands against division and sectarianism and tribalism. We, we, we are the party that respects the, indig- the, the, the dignity of every individual and seeks to lift us up and to give us hope and and opportunity and to take us forward so so some of it um, these days um, is troubling uh, but but I, I mean I, I still have faith that the design of the party the purpose of the party as Menzies designed it and, and, and as John Howard subsequently described it is is, is sound and, and and can work and, and and must if everyone in the liberal project is so willing to, to make it work then then what we can and will do is bring out the best of the liberal and conservative traditions. We will not um, just uh, label one another or cast people in some sort of tag-like fashion. Uh, we will respect that there are differences uh, and we'll work through those dif- differences. We'll, go, we'll have civil debates and discussions and we will find a way forward that reflects our core principles, and and that that really is the liberal way way forward, and and that's how I've sought to engage in in this party, and I, I think uh, I'm, you know I'm not perfect, none of us are, right? But um, if we, in a sense, as I was saying before, if we look to the greater good and the higher purpose for which we are doing this, for for which we choose to be involved in politics, to join our party, to pay our fees, to come along to meetings, if, if we keep the big picture and the national interest and the longer term in mind rather than any, you know, differences that exist, then we will serve ourselves and our party and our country all the better for it. Well, thank you, Jim. I mean, this is a conversation that you and I have quite frequently, but I don't think we've ever 
had the idea of turning it into a podcast, perhaps we should do it more often and, and share that thinking and invite people to contribute their own thoughts on it. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a great discussion, Nick. Thanks for having me on. I, I'm always always happy to have it, and uh, and the, these are meaningful meaningful conversations that matter. And uh, and I hope that we've added some value to our listeners today. Let's hope so. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Nick. been listening to another water cooler conversation brought to you by the Menzies Research Centre. We'd like to bring you many more of course and you can help us by subscribing from just $10 a month. Go to www.menziesrc.org slash subscribe. I'm Nick Cater and thank you for listening. Music.